0: Hi, it's Mark Raven here. If you like my podcast, you might be interested in my books. Uh, my first book, Lean Hospitals. My second book, Healthcare Kaizen, co-authored with Joe Schwartz. Practicing Lean, an anthology of stories from a number of authors. And my most recent book, Measures of Success. To learn more and to buy through Amazon, you can uh, support this podcast by going to leanblog.org slash Amazon. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. I'm really honored that the 32nd Annual Shingo Conference has invited me to teach a half-day workshop on topics from my most recent book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. The conference is April 16th and 17th in Orlando. My workshop will be Friday morning the 17th. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to leanblog.org slash Shingo 2020.
1: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now here's your host, Mark Graben.
0: Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode number 99 of the Lean Blog Podcast for October 4th, 2010. My guests today are Brent Cooper and Patrick Vlaskovitz, two entrepreneurs from California who are the co-authors of the book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development, a Cheat Sheet to the Four Steps to the Epiphany. Now, in the last year, I've taken a really strong interest in the so-called lean startups world and methodology, led by people including Eric Ries, who I'll be doing a podcast with later this year. I've written about him and shared video of him on the blog. And Steve Blank, the author of the 2005 book, The Four Steps to the Epiphany. So that is the book that Brant and Patrick have written a shorter cheat sheet book about, and we'll be talking uh, with them today. I hope this will be of interest to those of you both in traditional big companies or working in healthcare, in addition to people from the startup world. I worked for a software and consulting startup from 2001 to 2004, and I found that, to me at least, a lean startup material is a great way to think back through those old experiences and to think about my work in healthcare today in terms of developing new processes being customer-focused, um, following the scientific method. I think there's some really interesting stuff here. So you can find the blog post about this episode with links to both Brant and Patrick and other material at leanblog.org 99. So as always, I want to thank you for listening. Well, I want to welcome today's guests, Brant Cooper and Patrick Um Brant, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background.
2: Sure, uh, Mark. I've uh, done a little bit of everything in, in my career. I started out uh, uh, sort of on the technical side in IT and doing database development, um, managed uh, professional services, then uh, sort of started moving over to the dark side of product management and marketing and, uh, uh, and ran uh, marketing product management for a couple of, of startup companies. And uh, now for the last several years, Uh, I've been an independent consultant focusing primarily on uh, helping uh, young startup companies uh, get going and and, uh, achieve market traction.
0: Okay, thanks, Brian. And our other guest and co-author, Patrick Vlaskovitz, if you could uh, introduce yourself, please.
1: Sure. So um, I've done also quite a few different things. Um, Back uh, right after college, helped found a, a web development shop. Uh, after which bounced around in Europe for a few years, and then uh, came back and uh, collaborated with uh, Brent on this book after reading The Four Steps, uh, which uh, changed, essentially changed my, my view of how to build a startup pretty radically as I was trying to build one.
0: Well, thanks. And so you, you mentioned The Four Steps, and uh, in Steve Blank's book, um, for, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany, Successful strategies for product that products that win, and so Patrick, if you could introduce your book, um, the Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development. You, you call it a cheat sheet to the four steps. So I so wonder if you could describe the book and, and talk a little bit about um, this customer development process as you call it.
1: Sure. So uh, why don't I, I I kind of talk a little bit about the book and then I'll have Brandt describe customer development in in a little further detail. So great. The, the The book was born out of uh, of Brandt's and My Passion for the Four Steps of the Epiphany, uh, which is a fantastic book and, and has been described by some as sort of the uh, the secret Bible of the Silicon Valley um, it uh, has tremendous explanatory power in terms of defining and explaining why start- startups make it and why don't the 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 reason we decided to write the book is because uh, because we wanted to basically distill the core concepts of Steve's book down to uh, uh, a very quick, readable format, you know, very uh, cheat sheet, as we say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much wisdom and knowledge in, in Steve's book, right. but we right. wanted to extract sort of the core core parts of it and then update it with some of the recent uh, thinking that had been done around minimal viable products. Um, Eric Ries's Lean Startups, Dave McClure's Pirate Metrics, um, concepts like product market fit, uh, which I believe... Uh, Mark Andreessen is is uh, had had originated or popularized, and then uh, Sean Ellis's sort of forty percent rule for product market fit as well.
0: And and Patrick, then if if you could talk a little bit about what do you mean by uh, a customer development process? I mean it sounds different. A lot of organizations would talk about product development, but this is a very different methodology, right?
2: Yep. So so the way I would I would describe the customer development process from a super high level is engineering processes for sales and marketing. So uh again at at a high level if if uh if you look at customer development as questioning your own assumptions testing your hypotheses and, and doing that by quote unquote getting out of the building by talking to your customers uh then then that is sort of the high level uh, uh process and then implementing specific principles like uh like Patrick were mentioning Seeking product market fit and uh, some of the uh, integrating some of the customer development work that you're doing into uh, your development processes, uh, so then you can you can look at customer development as this high level, test your assumptions all the way down to details of actually how you get out of the building, how do you engage in customers, how do you bring that information back and integrate it into your your product development as well as your your other uh, business operations.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so I mean, you talk about this idea of you know a process for sales and marketing when you say it's sort of a traditional view that people would think well wait you know sales and marketing that's creative that's not a, a repeatable process I mean do, do people cringe or, or sort of push back at this notion of actually having or as you said engineering a process for doing that?
2: Well, I found it, it tends to it it tends to depend on on where the individual is coming from. I think it applies it. it appeals to, uh, technical people. Um, so in, in the past or traditionally technical people, uh, sort of want to throw their hands up in the air and say, listen, marketing sales, that's for somebody else to do. Uh, it, you know, it's sort of this fluffy stuff. I don't, I don't get it. And, um, I think that that leads to potential problems, uh, especially when you're, when you're actually bringing that product to market because, Hey, you know, maybe nobody wants the product cause cause that, Interaction with the potential market didn't happen. Uh, so having a, a rigorous process that technical people can follow, um, that, that allows them to test their their market and business model hypotheses during product development uh, appeals to the technical people, and they find it to be a a very powerful concept. Um, so I find I find a lot of uh, uh, my clients are are from that side of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely a harder sale, in my opinion, to sort of traditional sales and marketing people. But I also think that uh, as we, as marketing analytics has become popular, what we find is that there are a lot of sales and marketing people that also are drawn to uh, or forced to uh, look at return on investment and so for their marketing activities or for their selling activities. And so if that's the case, then having these processes is a means of doing that.
0: Right, and and Patrick, maybe you can comment or elaborate on this some more. But when Brent brought up the point of getting technical people out to talk with customers, I mean, this is uh, could be viewed as maybe either you know a much more integrated approach to engineering and sales and marketing instead of being in you know silos where you know we develop a product and chuck it over the wall and and you go sell it. I mean, is that uh, that, that to me that seems similar to what you see with lean and other settings where instead of somebody designing um, a hospital building and then chucking over the wall and you chuck a building over a wall, but you know, <laughs> hand it off to the people that actually have to run the place. This seems like a much more iterative, integrated approach. Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, ab- without a doubt. Absolutely. And, and, you know, talking, uh, Steve blank and Brant and I, we, we sat down and talk about this. And, and I think Steve even said the most important thing that someone can take out of Custom development, if they take nothing else away is to get out of the building. And, and I couldn't agree more where, <laughs> right. where it's, you, you got to do as a, as there's an entrepreneur named Dan Martell, he talks about, he goes, you have to get your, you have to get your customer's reality. And, and what that, what that means is at the end of the day, you are not your customer. You, you know, you have different problems. You view the world differently. You have different limits, budgets, uh, you know, uh, and, you know like you said it, it so much sort of hitherto has been okay i'm going to design something very cool what i think the customer needs i'm going to chuck it over the wall and he should just use it right and then getting out of the building really sort of obviates that uh, intentionally and forces you to to kind of recognize the the realities of of the of the customer and, and you know what the, how they're solving their problems and and the things they do and i know when i did this I had major epiphanies when I realized that my customers weren't rational, hmm. uh, and they knew they weren't being rational. For example, pricing decisions, and they would explain to me that they would actually pay, rather pay more for uh, my product uh, than uh, if they could have a steady, if it could be a monthly sort of um, uh, a cost versus a one-time spike that may have been that may have been actually have cost them less. You know, and for me. Maybe I was a like, complete naive, but but for me, that was a major epiphany when I realized my customers even know they're not being rational, but there are there are limits and there's reasons why they are perhaps not being rational. And you can only have those sorts of epiphanies about your product and about the problem and the, about the solution if you're getting out of the building. And, and I strongly yeah. believe that.
0: Well, and that to me sounds an awful lot like the lean principle of going to the Gemba and, and not just in a manufacturing setting. Yeah, you know, Toyota famously, when they went through a redesign of their minivan, had the chief engineer from Japan come and rent minivans of different makes and models and literally drove them coast to coast across the US and Canada, you know, to to put himself I mean, as you were saying, he is not the customer, but he was trying to at least live a day in the life of the customer. And so maybe the question to Brant, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me in Steve's book is this idea of you know, before you go to a customers and start throwing product ideas at them that you really have to understand what a day is like for your customers. So can you talk about some of that early customer understanding process that that's sort of different here?
2: Sure. So it, it's uh, it's very typical for uh, for product developers, for technical people, for founders uh, who are passionate about the solution to immediately want to pitch their solution. Uh, and so it's important, it's vitally important that, we, that when you get out of the building and you're talking to your customers, uh, that you don't influence their answers by immediately showing them product and saying, "Hey, doesn't this look great?" And, and you know your your audience is, is gonna be nice typically, and they're gonna nod their head and and you're gonna go away thinking that you've got this great market, but you actually haven't you haven't learned anything. And so the key the key to uh, customer development is that it's a learning exercise in the beginning. And, uh, and so when you go and uh, are, are interviewing or talking with your customers, it, it's, it's important that you're actually trying to find out what their pain is before you're pitching the solution. Uh, so I think that's something that actually uh, trips up a lot of people. Uh, and so there are, a number of, there are a number of ways that you, you can do that with customers. Uh, you you want to ask open-ended questions. You want to make it not like a an interview, but it's more like a conversation. So hopefully you've you've pulled together a, a meeting that is that is uh, not too formal. You're not there to pitch them. You're not there to sell them. You're actually there to have a conversation about what are the problems that they're facing inside their business. Mm-hmm.
0: Can Can you point to some examples of uh, of, of companies that are that are using the customer development process? Uh, either independently or in conjunction with you know the quote unquote lean startup methodology are there are there any success stories that you can point to these days?
2: Well, of course the, you know Steve wrote the book based upon his work at a number of different companies, including Super Mac and Epiphany, um, both of which are successful companies. And uh, Eric Eric brought these principles to his first company, Eric Reese, uh, and that was IMVU. Uh, so, uh, uh, Steve Blanks also sort of, you know, first to point out that he developed these, these ideas, not actually by sitting in the building, but going out and researching other successful companies. So I think that there's a number of successful companies that have used some of these processes, even if they haven't called them uh, customer development or called it lean. Um, but more recently, uh, uh, there was a number of companies that uh, demoed at Eric Reese's uh, Lessons Learned conference last April, um, including including uh, Dropbox, uh, comes to mind, uh, Kissmetrics. Um, you know, Sean Ellis has a number of companies that he's worked with. And again, I'm not sure that he ever actually called it customer development, but he was definitely using, you know, learning principles uh, with a number of uh, companies that, that he's supported. Um, I'm working with a number of companies now that are that are uh, have some measure of success, have paying customers, but they're still iterating their way towards uh, product market fit. and that includes a company called the Higher Syndicate and uh, Task Squid. Um, so, you know we're pretty early in the uh, in the evolution of or this evolution of these concepts, where they're called lean startups um or or they're explicitly saying that they um uh, they're doing customer development um uh but I think you can point to a number of companies that that have used some of these processes and are and are quite successful
1: okay yeah, i would also i would also just just to dovetail on what brand said in, in in the book actually we have four case studies and and of of different folks who have who have done cust dev like things mm-hmm. uh, and are very similar and for example DriveCam Bruce Moeller from DriveCam uh, spoke to us about this and you know he never called a customer development but he was I mean he was living getting out of the building I mean he was on uh, his customers job sites you know every day and he, he felt just instinctually he ha- he has got to be you know have his pulse on exactly you know, what his customer's problems are. And, and that's what, how he, he, that was a kind of a, one of the main philosophies that drove DriveCam. And again, he didn't call it customer development, but it was ve- very, very similar. And we found other cases like that where, again, it wasn't called customer development per se, but the, the very similar types of principles, staying close to the customer, iterating and learning from the customer, and then folding that into the development process.
0: Yeah, because that whole idea of learning and, and continuously iterating, I mean, it seems to follow very much a scientific method model or if, you know, people who know the Dr. Deming philosophy of the plan, do, study, act cycle. um, It's it's really interesting to see, you know, this idea of companies iterating and and, and continuously learning and and even changing um, based on that feedback. It's really kind of cool to see.
2: And I I guess the the other thing that I like to point out is that it's important to uh, distinguish between learning from your customers and and you know, getting a list of feature requests. Hmm. So, uh, you know, successful and unsuccessful companies are often talking to their customers and getting feature requests and and you know, filling their their bug tracking system with with uh, things that their customers are asking for. So there's not you know there's sort of nothing new about that, um, but that's not really what customer development is. Customer development is more about learning what those pains are, and so the features that you are are determining to uh, implement, uh, you know. Hopefully, you understand what the pain is that they're solving, and then that, and that that matches what your vision of of what your product is going to be. And so there's a there's a balance there between listening listening to your customers to hear what they're really saying versus uh, versus being a stenographer and just writing down all of their features <laughs> that they're asking for.
0: Right. Now, I mean, do you feel like there's Broader adoption within Silicon Valley or, or other uh, startup hotbeds, um, where where this has become you know trendy or, or something that VCs are looking for, or, or is that sort of a moot point in terms of um, looking for investors? I mean, it, it seems to me that companies going through this process tend to get to market earlier. Do you see more startups that are able to bootstrap themselves um, through this approach?
2: Well, I I think that the the present investment environment means that you need to prove something about your business model before you get investment. And so the lean, which doesn't lean, the lean startup doesn't speak directly to taking money or not taking money. Mm -hmm. So it's not the equivalent of, of bootstrapping, but in this environment, when, you know, if you're forced to prove something about your business model before you're able to get funding, then, then the lean principles are, are exactly right on. And uh, create a minimum uh, product necessary to prove an aspect of your business model enough to to get somebody to give you to give you money. So I, I think that you know, like all uh, like all trends, you know, I think that there are people that use these terms uh, loosely, and so uh, you do hear people you know throwing the concept of lean startup out quite a bit. Lean startup, you know, around quite a bit, and and they don't always mean uh, precisely what uh, Eric and, and others have defined it as. Yeah. And so I think there is some uh, some some potential problems there, but I think in general there's a a growing base of people that are are applying these principles, and there are more investors that are requiring it. And so, you know, we're still at the early stages, but I think that this is I think that this is the plan going forward. Yeah,
0: and something you said that resonated with me because the same thing happens with lean and healthcare and other settings. Sometimes people throw the, round, the, the term around loosely, um, just to describe you know something that may or not match up with uh, kind of the uh, the core definitions of, of lean. So, I right. understand there might be some frustration there. But <laughs> um, maybe you know a final question here. Uh, a lot of the talk is, is focused around. Uh, new companies, it seems. But do you think there's any hope or application for existing older companies that are looking to apply this to a new product or service line within an existing company? Is there any hope
1: that they could uh, make use of this model? Uh, absolutely. And, and in fact, I wouldn't even say there, there is it, hope. I think it, 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 the people are already doing this. Uh, okay. You know, so, so uh, Brant and I actually have worked on a few projects with larger existing companies uh, larger enterprises that are that are that are actively looking to sort of uh, spur innovation via custom development processes um and again if you look actually look at um you know history people have done these things again before so so larger companies have done these things before and in fact there is a company in the name doesn't come to mind at this point but uh they actually did some sort of they've done they've done sort of uh um uh, MVP type things, sort of faux MVP type things, to see you know what customers will bite on, and then go out and build it once someone's actually you know sort of bit on the idea. So so I guess that my answer is one is it's already happening, and two I think more and more uh, this uh, more and more companies will be adopting uh, sort of custom development like processes. Does that mean that they'll be doing you know uh, custom development uh, exactly the way Steve Blank describes it, or even we try to describe it? Probably not, but I don't think. I don't think perfect should be the enemy of good, Mm -hmm. and and I think you know customer development. You know what you take from it can can uh, uh, generate a lot of value, uh, even even just taking bits and pieces of it. Sort of, uh, uh, if that makes any sense.
2: To to add to to add to that, the the customer development process evolves as a company grows. So if a company is successful and they've introduced a number of successful products. Uh, the likelihood is that they're already you know, very well engaged with, uh, with their customers and they're learning about new innovation that they need to bring in and new products that they need to do. Um, if you've read uh, Christensen's The Innovator's Dilemma, mm-hmm. leading companies sort of naturally, naturally do that, and there's a lot of customer development that's involved in that. The trick always is, is the company that needs to uh, either compete against disruptive technology or maybe their their revenues are lagging, and they feel like they need to go in a radically new direction. And then the question becomes: Can they apply the early startup type of customer development uh, inside of a, a big company? And I I think that that's that's very difficult to do, and it takes you know very strong uh, very strong leadership and, and and buy-in from from key executives to be able to. Uh, run, uh, run a group independently of the, of the main core of their business, um, in, in order to, uh, you know, give the, give the, the, that group, the, the, uh, the budget they need and the opportunity to fail. Yeah. The freedom. Yeah. Right. So very, very difficult, but, but certainly, uh, certainly doable. And there's, there are leading companies, uh, that are, that are definitely doing, uh, doing exactly that. Okay.
0: And uh, well, this is really uh, this is really interesting stuff. But in, in the interest of time, I guess I need to ask a, kind of a final, last question. Um, you use the acronym MVP a couple times, and if there if there's folks that aren't that are listening who don't really know that um, stands for minimal viable product. And I was wondering if you could, um, if one of you could talk about what what that term means and and you know, tie it in again to how does customer development process. Uh, tie into the Lean Startup's methodology.
2: Okay, so uh, the minimum viable product is in uh, Patrick's and and my nomenclature, we talk about the minimum viable product being the minimum functionality necessary for you to achieve a, a measurable objective by your customer paying something. And so that's, I guess it's it's a rather esoteric definition, but but what we're really trying to get to is that if if you're just trying to test some part of your business model, and, and we we recommend that you're testing something um, that is of risk to your business model. So if you if you pass this test, then then it's good to move on. If you don't, it's time to pivot. Um, but that test may be that you want your customer to pay attention to you, to click on a button. To agree to a demo, uh, and so you have to po- provide enough functionality that gets them to do that, so that you have proven a, a specific objective that is measuring this this risk. So, sort of in the in the in the larger the larger concept, it typically means that you're building only what's necessary for a customer to pay for your product, because you've, you've then proven at some level your business model. And, and, and you're sort of good to go on uh go on from there
1: i just just to add to what Brant said, a lot of people misunderstand m v p and they uh they take it to mean uh, uh an almost intentionally sloppily built product uh uh and then they kind of wonder why you know they it's almost it's kind of weird i've seen this all the time on the net you know people kind of complain why their m v p isn't getting any traction you know it an MVP, depending on your product and your vision and who your customer is and what solution you're providing, it could very easily be a hundred to thousand dollar, uh, uh, MVP or even million dollar MVP. There's no, it does, there's no, there's no, uh, rule that Eric Reese or, or anyone has handed down saying that MVP has to be a, a piece of crap, uh, if, pardon my language, mm-hmm. you know? And right. so, and I think that that has to be sort of stated that it, it depends on, it depends again, like Brand said, you know, it's a, a product with the few, fewest number of features, uh, needed to achieve a specific objective, and that users are willing to pay, right, in yeah. some form yeah. of a scarce resource, and that could be time, money, what have you, right? You're, you're trying to learn something,
2: and I think the uh, word the, the word viables is important <laughs> as as minimum, <laughs>
1: right, right, exactly. And so I, I think a lot of people really misunderstand. A lot of people get really excited about MVPs, and they, you know, they'll do a landing page and things like that, and that may work for certain uh, problems and certain solutions, but for often I think very, you know, very visionary things or or perhaps um, uh, services that rely on network effects, uh, those things may not work, right? So it all depends, and, and I really get kind of irritated when people don't really understand or don't really grok, you know, what an MVP is, and, and they kind of just use it to be kind of lazy, if that makes any sense.
0: Right, so not sub-minimal and not sub-viable, but minimum viable product, we'll put the emphasis on the V.
2: <laughs> That's right.
0: All right. Well, cool. Hey, um, Brent Cooper and Patrick Vlaskovitz, um authors of The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development, a Cheat Sheet to the Four Steps to the Epiphany, um, want well, thank you for taking time out today. Where, where can people pick up the book or, or find you on the web if they want to read more or reach out to you?
1: They can find it at custdev.com, so C-U-S-T as in Thomas, D as in dog, E-V.com. Um, and they can also get the paperback on Amazon. They can search for either Brandt or myself or just the Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development.
2: And uh, Patrick blogs at vlaskovitz.com and I blog at uh, marketbynumbers.com.
0: Well, great. Well, I hope listeners will go and check that out and um, take a look at the book. And I want to thank you, Brant and Patrick, for taking time to talk today. Really interesting stuff.
2: Mark, thank you. Thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, it's Mark Raven here. If you like my podcast, you might be interested in my books, Uh, my first book, Lean Hospitals, My second book, Healthcare Kaizen, co-authored with Joe Schwartz, Practicing Lean, an anthology of stories from a number of authors, and my most recent book, Measures of Success. To learn more and to buy through Amazon, you can uh, support this podcast by going to leanblog.org slash Amazon. Hi, this is Mark Rabin. I'm really honored that the 32nd Annual Shingo Conference has invited me to teach a half-day workshop on topics from my most recent book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. The conference is April 16th and 17th in Orlando. My workshop will be Friday morning the 17th. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to leanblog.org slash Shingo2020.